So if you could just turn to Luke chapter 19, we'll start at verse 45. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was preaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, uh, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority are you doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Jesus is on his way to the cross, and uh, that is part of the reading today. Uh, This is uh, Sunday or Monday of Passion Week. By Friday, he will be dead. And so he has set his face toward the cross cross and he is walking that path. Uh, Starting in verse uh, 45 of chapter 19, he entered the temple area, began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. Such an important part of the gospel story that uh, all four gospels include a version of this story. John chapter 2 has Jesus making a whip and he takes the whip and he is actually driving the cattle and the sheep out of the temple, out of the temple uh, courts. And in Mark has him overturning all the tables that the money changers are using. So you can even see, the you can kind of hear the coins ringing as uh, he turns over these tables. And they have individuals selling doves uh, right outside uh, the temple area. And uh, the dove tables uh, he he overturns. Uh, What a mess and uh, what, what a sight that would have been. I have a number of things for you to think about from the passage. Point number one. uh, We make an idol of jobs and income. We make an idol of jobs and income. Uh, Jesus was hitting people where it hurts. And uh, he was affecting the income of the temple and the money that was flowing up to the chief priests. And uh, these money... Changers are doing a necessary job, and he is affecting their income and those who are selling the sheep and the cattle and the doves, all necessary for those who are coming to sacrifice, and uh, he is affecting uh, their income and their jobs. I wrote down here, I said, uh, you want to get a man upset with you, mess with his job, and people will get angry very fast. Because it's so important, we, we, we have an idolatry of jobs. You want to see a government act dishonestly? Threaten 9,000 jobs. 
see the Attorney General of Canada upset, take away the job. We identify with our jobs. And we get our sense of importance from our jobs. We make a living from our jobs. Uh, In the the past year, there have been many large scandals in the United States in churches and religious organizations. And I was listening to an interview, and the interviewer asked the question, why didn't some of these pastors resign? They saw things that were wrong. Why didn't they leave? And the answer to the question was, well, they would lose their job. We're talking about pastors. That's why they don't resign when they see wrong things. They'll lose their jobs. Uh, Because the job is so important. It's all important. And Jesus is hitting them where it hurts. As he overturns this and he says, you can't be doing this. You're doing the wrong things. You want to get people mad at you. He has found the right touch point to do so. This is a big deal. So that's point number one, idolatry of jobs and income. And there are all kinds of places in the scripture to talk about that. Number two, I was asking myself the question, why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus go in and do this? And, and he tells you, and I read this over and over again, and I missed it until Friday. He says, it is written. It's written. Why does Jesus do this? Because he reads the scripture and he reads the Bible and this is wrong behavior. That's why he cleans the temple. It's written right there in the scripture. And of course that that should be why we do things. I read my Bible. This is what it says. So therefore this is how I act. Point number three. Jesus says my house will be a house of prayer. My house will be a house of prayer. Churches should be known for prayer. I didn't write this in my notes. This is a little aside. This is a freebie. Remember years ago, I was working out at uh, the airport, and uh, there was another guy who worked out there with me. We were talking about religious things. And uh, he said to me, he said, Dave, I know I'm okay Because you're praying for me. (laughs) And I thought, well, first of all, (laughs) you're not okay because I'm praying for you. And secondly, I'm not praying for you as much as you think I'm praying for you. To my shame. That's what he thought. Somebody who doesn't go to church is that people who go to church and pastors spend their time praying Well, he should think that. And we don't live that. And Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer. That's what takes place there. It's a place where people pray. Um, Una's Una's not here today. I don't know if Parker and Claire are here today. But a couple of weeks ago, um, her mother is visiting from Korea. And so a couple of weeks ago, I was over here late one night, and I heard somebody in the church, and I go, who, in, who was in the church late at night? And it, it, was, it was Una's mom. She had wandered over from where they live, over in the new subdivision. She'd walked by, and she'd come into the church. And so I, I texted Una. I said, your mom's over here. And she texted me back. She goes, she just came over to the church to pray. 
And so she came into the auditorium and she sat down here, sat here for maybe an hour, an hour and a half, and she just prayed. And I thought, wow, that's wonderful. That's what, that's what we should be doing at church. It should be a place of prayer. I texted her. I texted Una when she left. I go, okay, she's leaving right now. <laughs> Make sure she makes it back. Uh, so my house will be a house of prayer. The gathering of the people of God to a location must include as a primary purpose prayer. And the buying and the selling and the changing of money is interfering, interfering with prayer. Priests, of course, don't like this. They like to elevate sacrifice. That's the most important thing. And, of course, they're necessary for it. But prayer, Jesus says, is vital. Many churches today are moving prayer from their services. They do it because it wastes time. Can you believe that? <laughs> it's true. They take it, out of, they take it out of the order of service because it takes up too much time, and so they take prayer out of the church service. I like the book written by Bill Hybels. The title says, Too Busy Not to Pray. Too Busy Not to Pray. Got to pray. Secondly, I love when Jesus says, My house will be a house of prayer. My house will be a house of prayer. It's his house. The temple was really built for the worship of Jesus Christ. All of it was to worship and honor Jesus Christ. The entire point of the priests and the sacrifices was to point to Jesus Christ. So when he says, my house, there is a real ring of truth to that. This is all about Jesus. Thirdly, we're still on my house, will be a house of prayer. There's an inherent and unrealized racism present. The business that took place took place in the court of the Gentiles. They were only allowed so far into the temple, and this is where they set up shop, where the Gentiles could go. This is where the Gentiles could pray. That's where the tables are, the, the animals are. That's where the selling is taking place. It's because the Gentiles are simply not that important. Mark includes a more extensive quote here. Instead of, my house will be a house of prayer, it's my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Everyone should be able to approach God and pray. Quoting from Isaiah 56, a chapter that is about eunuchs coming into God's house, people who have been sexually mutilated and now sexually incapable, they should be able to worship God and foreigners should be able to worship God. All of Isaiah 56 is about that. Well, Jesus came into this world because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John emphasizes it again in his, in his first, first letter when he says, He is the propitiation for our sins. The satisfaction, of, the satisfaction of God's wrath for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And worship is for all ethnicities and people groups. Not only, not only was that supposed to be true in Jesus' time, it's supposed to be true in our time. Church should be accessible and meaningful for seniors, for adults, and for children. It must be accessible to all kinds of different ethnicities. And sometimes it's hard to welcome and develop relationships with people of different cultures. It's hard to understand them when they speak. 
Part of love is developing those relationships. Our church is not the only church struggling in this area. Ethnic churches in Canada are also struggling. They're, they're now finding that a church that is Filipino, and for those from the Philippines, is not doing a good job at reaching out to others than Filipinos. And they find that after one generation, the church begins to die off because their children don't want to stay in a church that's just for Filipinos. In fact, they are, they are having a hard time, ethnic churches. Um, we need to do more. Point number four, my house will be a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of robbers. Not only were they practicing these business practices where they shouldn't, they were making way too much money. The religious leaders in Jesus' day were extremely wealthy. They were part of the 1%. They shouldn't have been. Lower-level priests were impoverished. And uh, you can read about uh, one of them in uh, the Gospel of Luke. John the Baptist's father was a priest. Um, it is not right for people serving God to fleece the flock. One of my favorite stories about it is in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm just going to read part of it. 2 Kings chapter 5 is the story of Naaman. Naaman's a leper. And he's a Syrian. And Syria and Israel were enemies. In fact, Syria often attacked Israel. And Israel attacked Syria. Went back and forth. But at this time, Syria had the upper hand. And uh, it just so happened that the commander in Syria had leprosy. He happened to have a slave girl who was from Israel, little girl. And one night she said, why don't you go to Israel and a prophet of God there can heal you. And the commander, Naaman, thought, well, that's a good idea. Let's go to Israel. And so he takes some money, he takes some clothes, he goes to the king of Israel, he goes, I'm here to be healed. <laughs> and the king of Israel kind of, wait just a second here, we can't do that. But Elisha heard about it and sent a message. Send him to me. He went to Elisha, and Elisha said, God wants to heal you. Go dip in the Jordan seven times, and you'll be healed. And, of course, he's incensed, right? Why, why shouldn't you should come out to meet me? Shouldn't send a messenger. I'm too important. Why should I go dip in that dirty river? He goes and dips seven times, and he's cleansed. That's only half the story. The second half of the story, the rest of the story, is this. Naaman, after he's been healed, goes back to Elisha and says, I want to give you some money, and I want to give you a bunch of clothing. And Elisha says no. So Naaman leaves. After he leaves, Elisha's servant Gehazi says, I'm going to go after him and ask for some money. Naaman goes on his way. Gehazi chases him down. And he says, we've just had two young men from the school of the prophets. They've come. They don't have any money. They need some help. And Naaman says, I'm happy to help you. Here's 
they ask for a talent of silver, he gives them two talents of silver, 150 pounds of silver. That's pretty good, eh, Peter? <laughs> Peter likes silver and gold. 150 pounds of silver and two sets of clothing. Gehazi goes back and he hides them in his house. And he goes back to see Elisha. And Elisha says, where have you been? Gehazi answered, your servant didn't go anywhere. Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes? Answer, no. Is this the time to take money, accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, men servants, and maidservants? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. The story begins with a man with leprosy, and the story ends with a man with leprosy. And uh, there's Gehazi wanting something and getting rich. And Elisha's question, is this the time to take money? And I, I would suggest to you, it's still not the time. This past uh, year, Gospel for Asia has come under severe, had severe problems. A few years ago, I got a letter. Our church supported them heavily. A few years ago, I got a letter from a pastor who's writing to all the givers of Gospel for Asia in Canada. And uh, our church's name popped up because we were one of the top ten givers in, in Canada. And Canada gave a lot of money to Gospel for Asia, way more per capita than the United States. So he sent me this letter, and it's like you can't believe it. You know, you get this long letter, and you, so I started to research it. The Gospel for Asia representative that we had had come to our church and presented it to our church, I called him. And he had left Gospel for Asia. And he said, it's true. There are problems. They got kicked out of the EFCA. That is their financial watchdog. They failed in a number of key standards for finances. And you can read about this in the news. It's all over the news. They were sued a couple of years ago for fraud and handling money. And they just settled the case out of court for $37 million. They need to raise $11 million from donors. So if you want to help somebody, want to help a charity out, they're looking for money to settle, settle their fraud suit. Uh, we aren't going to give any more to it. I, I was hoping that Canadians could be part of the settlement. Uh, we don't get to be part of the settlement because we don't live in the States. And uh, I, I just thought, how sad. How sad that uh, as Christians we don't handle our money that well and uh, through fraud taking advantage of people raising funds, which comes to our church. It's so important for us to handle money wisely and carefully. Last year, my salary was $64,300. This year, my salary is $64,300. Some of you are thinking, wow, that's a lot of money. And some of you are thinking, that's not a lot of money. Uh, my hope is that the church will keep paying me that exact salary for the next five years, not increase it. Because if you increase it, I have to retire earlier because I'll have too much money. My salary was 64000 Last year we gave 73000 to missions. Um, wonderful to give our money away, to handle money carefully, 
and wisely and not waste people's money. Uh, I think that's what God wants us to do. I think we're all responsible for that. Um, every member is responsible for how we handle our money. Um, I, I think that's important. Jesus thinks it's important. My house should be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. Point number five from the passage, Jesus is the best teacher. Talks about that. Every day he was teaching at the temple. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Wish I could have been there that week to hear those, all those days of teaching. We do have some of it in our scriptures. The warning against the chief priests, the answers to the questions, the Olivet Discourse, all the last week of Jesus, as well as the upper room teaching. Just wonderful, wonderful stuff. Point number six. Why does Jesus clean the temple? Because he knows it's time to die. And he gives them a reason. The chapter ends, they're looking for a way to kill him. They're trying to kill him. They're trying to, but they couldn't find a way to do it. But it's time. And the day before the Passover, he will be dead. Because eventually they just go, we've got to find a way to do it. Jesus gives them excuse. He pushes them over the edge. He pushes them over the edge. And Judas gives them an opportunity. God sent Jesus into the world to die on the cross for the sins of the world. But God cannot spill innocent blood. And so he uses wicked people full of hatred to accomplish his purposes. Chapter 20. One day as he's teaching the people in the temple courts, preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the teachers of the law together with the elders came up to him Tell us by what authority you're doing these things. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? If we say from men, all the people will stone us because they're persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Of course, they're trying to trap Jesus. By what authority are you doing these things? If he says, I'm the Messiah, I'm the king, they'll arrest him and the Romans will kill him. If he, if he claims something else, I have no authority, it, it, they're trying to trap him. Who said you could do these things? Um... I kind of I love Jesus' response, right? If, are these real questions? Is this really what you want to know? Do you really want to know the answer? I'll ask you a question. John's baptism. Heaven or human? Heaven or human? Easy question. We all know it's from God. All the people know it's from God. They all think it's human. But they can't say that. So they have a huge discussion. What can we say? Can we tell them what we think? Can we, what, what answer can we say that the people want to hear? And they go, there's no answer. We're trapped. <laughs> we can't say what the people think because then they'll say, well, why didn't you believe in him? And we can't say what we think because they'll stone us because they think John was a prophet. We're trapped. 
right? Telling the truth didn't even enter the picture. So they answered, we don't know where it was from, right? Trying not to sound stupid. They sound stupider than any other answer they could have given. We don't know. No wonder Jesus can't answer their question. Where do you get the authority from? They don't even know where John's baptism comes from. Very disappointed this week with our politicians not being able to get straight answers. And uh, unfortunately, politicians have always been this way. What's the truth? Just tell it to us straight. And there's always some kind of parsing going on behind the scenes. What can we say that will make us look good? <laughs> what can we say that will best accord with public opinion? This is a man, uh, his name's Bruner. This is a book on Matthew. Uh, considered to be one of the nicest, best on Matthew. He's got this about uh, the fear of man. The fear of man is a snare. The religious leadership lacks the courage of its convictions. It does not grapple with its conscience. It consults public, it consults public consequences. And so in a way, divinizes public opinion. Divinizes public opinion. A common fault of all false leaderships. Authority more concerned for popularity than for truth is spurious. He says it well. And uh, politics hasn't changed from Jesus' day. <laughs> Always parsing, what can we say that puts us in the best light and puts Jesus in the worst light? Um, so Jesus' answer, you won't give me a straight answer. I'm not going to give you a straight answer. Neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. But the rest of the chapter tells you. Tells you by what authority he's doing these things. He then goes on to tell a parable. The parable is about a man who owns a vineyard. He says, I'll send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. They decide instead to kill him. Jesus looked directly at them. He says, what is the meaning, meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Quoting right from the Bible. That's talking about me. God sent me. Um, Jesus' answer to them is not just to win an argument or to make them look bad. I used to think that. I used to think, I wish I could be like Jesus to always give the right answer so that those who are asking me questions look bad and I look smart. <laughs> That's not what he's doing. Out of love, he exposes their hypocrisy. Out of love, exposes their hypocrisy so they can see where they are wrong and actually believe in him. A number of years ago, another pastor in town was telling me he was working hard to explain some theology to his people so the people would expect it, accept it. And so he was trying to come up with some way to explain some difficult points so that people would like what he has to say about it. And I said, I don't think we do need to explain it in that way so that they accept it. I said we should explain it so that they understand it. Explain it so they understand it. Then it's up to them to accept it. 
We don't have to color it in such a way that people like the truth. We just have to explain the truth so they understand the truth. And then it's up to you. We don't have to doctor it up. We don't have to paint it with nice colors. We don't have to soften the edges. Just explain it clearly what the Bible teaches. Well, why this sermon? Why this week? Because Jesus is on the road to the cross. And one of the steps to the cross is those who are against him understanding exactly what he's saying so that they will kill him. And now they're, now they're starting to hear him. My house will be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. Authority? Yes, I've got the authority. Let's look to the Lord in prayer.